0: Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, along with Dr. Jenna Lejeune and Dr. Brian Goff, and these are what we're calling the closet sessions because of mandated quarantine, and uh, otherwise, I know we would all probably love to be with one another. Um, I just always love to do sort of a quick check-in with you guys, because even though you're a therapist, I think that most people understand that you're also human and also have feelings. How are you doing, Jenna?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's up and down. Um, when I'm working, it's actually generally pretty up. And then, you know, when I am a normal human being, not doing the work that I really love doing, you know, I can, I can get scared or, or just irritated. Um, Right. You know, I, I've been joking, you know, I live in a tiny house and I've been joking like tiny is really fucking tiny right now <laughs> two adults and two dogs in a tiny house in
2: quarantine is really oh really
1: small oh my god you can only You're clean
2: being, the windows so many times only clean You're the being so many tested times. man you are being tested what about you brian absolutely i am not uh in a tiny house i'm in a normal sized house uh i think i'm in the same boat the jenna's in it goes up and down some days are fine And uh, actually working is really great. I feel both grateful to have a job and maybe as much as ever, my job feels very meaningful to me. And, you know, I feel like this sheltering in and the uncertainty and the isolation and the uncertainty for people that I really care about and know and people that I don't know but still care about it feels like a headwind that I'm running into. And I want to have some sense of normalcy. At the same time, it just really honestly feels like nothing's normal. You know, I'm I'm approaching normal, but yeah, everything's got sort of a tinge of COVID and it's draining sometimes. No kidding. I wanted
0: to talk today, if it's okay with you, about how many people are on the front lines and um, how many people that are still asked to go to work and to care for people who are sick with COVID-19 and the enormous pressure that's on our first responders and our EMTs and all of the people who are doing I, I heard a great Winston Churchill quote the other day that said, never have so few made it possible for so many to continue living. Oh. And I think that that's so wow. beautiful with respect to this pandemic because we are calling on a very few to keep the rest of us living, which yep. uh, it's, it's profound to me, the sacrifice that they're making and the contribution. So I'd like to dedicate this episode, if we can, to the loved ones about how to care for those caregivers. I think it's, it's really important You know, and caregivers right now, you can almost include everyone, even parents at home with three kids who are trying to juggle work and a brand new baby and a toddler at the same time. So let's start with the category of people who are healthcare workers who are on the front lines of this pandemic. What kind of advice do you have first for them and then also for the
1: people who love them? Well, first of all, Thank you so much for everything that you all are doing, these frontline workers. It just, it's hard for me to even talk about it without getting teary. Um, And I guess the first thing I would say to them, the first piece of advice, or I don't even have advice, but the first thing I would say is, you know, frontline workers are used to incredibly stressful situations. They like, this is what they have kind of learned how to do is to deal with crisis. But the change with this situation is, is that this is a very unprecedented and unpredictable crisis. Mm. And the human brain just craves predictability. And so even if you are a frontline worker and you say, well, I don't know what the deal is. I'm always dealing with crisis. Why am I feeling so overwhelmed or sad or scared or angry? Um, so it's, it's the newness of it. And then just sort of like a few few basic things that, you know, frontline workers, they, they know this stuff because they tell it to their patients all the time. But mm-hmm. it's also important to remember that you are human, too. So. First and foremost, you've got to take care of your body. Your body is your tool and you have to take care of that tool. And the way that you take care of that tool is you nourish your body, you move your body, and you rest your body. Those are the three things you have to do to take care of your tool that is going to take care of other people and save other people's lives. Mm. I want to just recount something.
0: I have this, um, it's kind of a virtual exercise club where everybody gets on and you all like run together or do yoga together or something. And I was so struck by the number of people that are in that club, um, Dr. Lung, um, RN, still at it. Um, the, the people that are still managing to go to work, they're managing their families and they're still managing to get exercise because they know how crucial it is to move your body, especially when you're under stress. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And what when I see people doing that, the thing I think of is, oh my gosh, what a gift of love. Like in all of All the things that you are trying to manage right now, you are even managing to take care of your body because that's the way that you're going to be able to care for the rest of us, too. Mm -hmm. So it really does seem like this very selfless act to me when I see people doing that. Brian, you want to piggyback on that?
2: Yeah, I'd echo what we're saying here about just thank you so much. Uh, My next door neighbors are nurses, one of them works in an emergency room. I know some others, medical professionals, and it reminds me of, you know, 9/11 when everybody's running away from the towers but the first responders are running into it. The last place in the world that I want to be right now is at a hospital. I'm a little nervous about going to the grocery store. You know, if you're sick, not with COVID, but something else, you know, you, you think, okay, maybe I'll try to manage this at home because I don't want to go to the hospital and get sick. And then my neighbors and plenty of other people, that's exactly where they go every day. And they run toward the people who are sick. And on top of that, you know, it's not like they're treating people who have heart disease or diabetes. They're treating people with a virus that they are just as vulnerable to getting as the patient that they're treating. And the information about the virus is changing all the time so you know they're trying to provide treatment to patients with limited information and changing information and then limited availability of treatments not to mention the fact that many places in the country right now have shortages of personal protection equipment it would be like the firefighters running into a building but having shortages of protective gear a heart just breaks for them i think i agree with jenna you know it does seem to be sort of a superhuman thing with kind of superhuman impulses. But of course, these people are human too. And when you leave work, you know, you've you got to take care of yourself. You've got to, I think, lower the expectations for yourself about how many other things that you can juggle and how well you yeah. can juggle them. And I think to, to a degree, and I say this with a lot of humility because I'm not in this job. I have a pretty cushy job, but it seems to me like, If those individuals can focus on as skillful a process as they can and as good of intentions as they can and not get too connected to the outcomes, the outcomes are sort of uncontrollable, right? Whether people live or whether people die or how well we manage the flow of patients that are coming into uh, the clinics, the hospitals, that. Feels a lot more stressful than I'm not in control of the outcomes, but I am in control of the process. I'm in control of how I show up for this particular patient, that I'm doing the best I can with the limited resources, personal and medical resources that I can, and that's what I can do. I can't approach this as though it's an ideal situation. Can I? I, a, can I? Yeah, go ahead, Jenna.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, I think the other thing that's happening with frontline okay. workers, because people who choose that calling, that takes a particular kind of human being, right? And it's almost like we took these incredible sprinters, and now we put them in an ultra marathon. Oh my and, gosh,
0: what a great analogy. And the
1: sprinters are just doing, they're trying to do what they know how to do, which is sprint. It's like going from crisis to crisis to crisis. But now you're running a different race. You've got to think about changing your pace, because you're now running Um, An ultra marathon, And so Mm -hmm. that means that your coping strategies that used to work, the coping strategy of I'm just going to hold it in right now and then I'll let it go once the crisis has passed, or I'm not going to think about sort of my needs right now or my emotions because I have to pay attention to this person on the table. That strategy has worked so well for you for so long when you're sprinting. This is not a sprint. Mm. And that strategy will mean that you're not going to be able to finish the race. In order to keep going, you're just really going to have to learn how to, in the middle of doing your job, also reach out and let people know how you're feeling. Let other people care well for you. Um, acknowledge what your feelings are, acknowledge feelings yeah. of helplessness. I
0: uh, have a nurse friend who um, is actually on one of these units in the critical care department where they're, they're curing for a lot of the people who did not make it through the ventilators. And, and um, she said one of the things that was so difficult is that she went into the job because she loved being there with people to have them see her face, to have them see her smile, to be able to hold their hand flesh to flesh and say, you are not alone in this suffering. And because of the unique nature of COVID-19, none of that shows up. And so they've got these masks on and these helmets and the patient has no idea if the human is enjoying it or, or, or providing empathy or what's happening. But um, a person was really struggling in her critical care unit and she started to cry. And she said, I had to deal not only with the idea that I was kind of breaking up, but that I might've just infected myself with my own tears in my mask. So when she was telling me this, it was like the complications
1: Mm -hmm. of
0: just having any emotion in that moment are so huge. And so I'm thinking like, when do they get to offload? When do they get to go through the almost PTSD experience of explaining to people what it is they're going through? Just
1: enormous. I think most of the time, frontline workers, first responders, those type, they're very protective of their loved ones and they don't generally want to come home and unload. I think this is the time when you need to give your loved ones a job as well. And their job is going to be to care for you so that you can care for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And the way that they can care for you is to simply listen normalize your feelings to say oh my gosh of course you're feeling that way not try and take them away at all or problem solve them, but simply just be able to hear what your experience is. That yeah. gives them a job to
2: do. Yeah, yeah. and, and I think beyond uh, assigning that job to loved ones, if, if you are not a frontline worker and you, I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty tuned into the idea that we should be looking out for the elderly neighbor, you know, maybe checking in once in a while, do you need anything? If you know somebody who's working in any kind of medical setting, reaching out to them and not only asking them how they're doing, I don't know how far this goes, but my impulse is to thank them. In the same way that we thank first responders like firemen and policemen, or we thank military veterans, thank you for your service, that these people are doing a really, really difficult job. And one, yes, that they signed up for, but but kind of not in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah especially under these circumstances, and are still doing it. And some of them doing it because they're being retrained because they work in a non-critical setting but have some background in emergency medicine. And so they're quickly being retrained and being asked to jump into the front lines. Hmm. And it's, again, it's great to have a job, but that's a, that's a Sophie's choice, right? That's a hard thing.
1: I do know that there are a lot of psychological association groups or groups of professional therapists that are specifically offering free short term kind of crisis services for people who are on the front line. Hmm. Um, So for nurses, physicians, The janitors, the custodial staff that are working in the hospitals, they're not getting any of the kind of attention, but they're in there doing their job. If you are somebody who feel like it'd be helpful to talk for one or two times even to a professional, reach out to your psychological association to see if there's a group who's offering that as a way to give back to frontline work.
0: I also just want to direct people back to the episode we did last week on face COVID. I've heard from so many listeners about just how practical, how grounding, how helpful those steps are because it's something you can do at home. You can just put it in your ears and lay down and meditate and listen to those steps and try to calm yourself. I'm thinking about how many stories I've read of people who strip their personal protective equipment outside the door, go to a granny apartment. They don't even see their families because they're so worried about infecting them. So they're dealing with the kind of isolation that we were talking about prior, Brian, where they're alone with all of this. They're alone with everything that they face during the day and then
2: wondering how much longer is this going to go on? That's right. And the kind of connection. I mean, I I have been so appreciative of all of the technology that we have, what we're doing right now, even, you know, a month ago, I didn't know what Zoom was. (laughs) Um, I appreciate this sort of connection. Believe it or not, the device that you hold in your hand is also a phone. You can make phone calls, speak voice to voice with people. Most people under the age of 25 might not know that. That is very different than the social media sort of connection and, uh, you know, the Instagram, Facebook, that kind of connection. And um, I think when you are alone, yes, you're alone and no, you're not. The more you can connect in real time with people that you love and maybe a little bit of a silver lining. I had a gathering last night over uh, one of these platforms with some old friends of mine and Uh, One of them's in Minnesota, uh, another one's on the East Coast in Maryland. I never really talk to these guys because uh, they live on the other side of the country. But right now it doesn't matter if you live next door to me and you, or you live in Maryland. The experience is pretty much the same. I'm I'm looking at you through my laptop. That's very different than social media, which I think is a little bit. I mean, we're craving the connection, and most people will go to that because it's familiar. I think it's a little bit like eating empty calories. You know, you're hungry and you eat and eat and eat to the point where you are really full and kind of feel sick, but you don't feel nourished. And so as close to the real-time one-on-one or small group connection as possible, I think, is, you know, limit the social media just the way that we're trying to limit the news. I know,
0: you know, the the category of caregivers, especially for this, is we've been talking about first responders, but anybody who right now is in a caregiving position, whether it's a mom or a multiple pet owner or somebody, (laughs) has that feeling, oh my gosh, the interminable nature of this is the thing that I think gets most people. And Jenna, the tips that we were talking about last week around when you start spinning out, when you find yourself wondering how long and what does this mean and what is September going to bring, the, the steps of bringing yourself back into your body, into the here and now have been so particularly helpful. Any other things that you want to share with people who are taking this enormous amount of caregiving and work And trying to keep it together.
1: Yeah, so one tip that kind of I've been suggesting to people and also myself is before I consume the news or find myself going too far down that worry path, I stop and I ask myself, what is the information I need, I actually need to be able to do my job and to keep my loved ones and myself well? What is that information? And then what's going to be the most streamlined and reliable source to get that information? And then everything else is just going to be like fuel for my worry. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to like let it go. So I think if you do, if you set yourself some kind of parameters ahead of time before you start worrying about, oh, wait a second, I said I wasn't going Mm -hmm. to go on whatever Mm -hmm. the source is and yet I found myself here for an hour. I think that can be really helpful. This is this is something I've been doing that I've just found incredibly helpful so I thought maybe I would share it. I think we at least when I start worrying about the future and get so overwhelmed I lose sight of the beauty in the moment and so I, my partner and I have a practice of sharing a gratitude every night at dinner. And I've added something to that practice where I share a gratitude that I had for the day, but then I share a delight. Like just Mm. one thing Mm. that delighted me that day. And most of the time, thank you, my neighbor. It's like this neighbor that I've seen for two years every morning when I walk my dogs that I've never talked to, this older gentleman. And now he's like on his stoop and he waves at me and he's my delight for the day. And I think when you have that (laughs) sense of, I have to look for a delight in the moment, that can also pull you back away from that kind of worry
2: hole that you get into.
0: The spin. I
2: like that. Yeah. The thing with the gratitudes that I've noticed is it always felt like a mail-in to say things like, oh, I'm really grateful to have a job. I'm really grateful to be healthy. And those things are not givens. I suppose they're never givens, but they feel so profoundly not given right now. And I think also I had another thought while you were speaking, Jenna, about if the places where I feel strained by all of this, it's highlighting to me what I care about. We've said this a bunch on this podcast, you only heard about the things you care about. You know, I am being reminded all the time that it's easy for me to take for granted things like my access to nature, or my ability to move around, or my connection with friends and loved ones, because my expression of all of those values right now is pretty hampered. That just is reminding me not only how do I lean into those things in this context, but when all of this is over, what do I want to reconnect with and maybe hopefully not take for granted?
0: Boy, I certainly don't take for granted these closet sessions, you guys. It's so good. It's (laughs) like we're going to continue the closet sessions until the quarantine ends, and who knows when that will be. And until then, all we can do is just stay well. Thanks, you guys. And if you like this program, you can find more of them at where you listen to podcasts. Please give us a thumbs up if you like the content. We want to thank the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care for supporting us along with Cedar Hills Hospital.